Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on the first day of uh, March, hoping we find each and every one of you in good form. And the high cost of electricity, still very much a talking point, featured in a lot of the papers today. And actually I heard this morning and Barry is carrying it as well on our news uh, service that the Society of Vincent de Paul, their Social Justice Committee has come out and they are calling on all of the energy customers, all of the energy companies to start passing on discounts to all of their customers, but in particular to remember and to think about families who are uh, struggling. And actually I heard Vincent, Vincent de Paul earlier making the point that I know a lot of our listeners would agree with that the energy companies are very quick to pass on increases to consumers when the wholesale prices increase but a corresponding reduction they're saying that that should be seen as soon as possible and they always seem to they'll put up the prices very quickly but they seem to be very very slow at putting down uh, the prices and there's a, a lot of discussion this week on it and I even see that the Energy Minister Eamon Ryan got involved in this discussion yesterday particularly with regard to Electric Ireland he is now the latest government minister and TD and backbench and opposition TDs to put their call to Electric Ireland to please start passing on price cuts to households. Eamon Ryan yesterday said that they should do it as soon as uh, possible. Now there was a lot of opposition uh, TDs also calling on the utility uh, company and calling on Electric Ireland to explain why it made the decision to reduce the price of electricity to businesses but not to reduce the price of electricity to householders. The spokesperson for Eamon Rye, now what he did welcome the fact of between a 10 and a 15% reduction for small businesses. Eamon Ryan did say he would like to see the very same thing happening for domestic customers as soon as possible. Now the Minister met with all of the electricity suppliers late last year. And at that stage, he pushed for competitive rates for customers, especially those who are vulnerable. Now, it was on Monday that Electric Ireland announced this uh, reduction. It's up to 15% for some business customers. The average is going to be about 10%. I think the the smaller the business, the bigger the discount they're going to give. So it'll be about 10% and it is for the small and medium businesses. And I think everybody welcomes that because there should therefore then hopefully be a knock-on. If they businesses can reduce their costs, they'll be able to pass on some of those savings. So consumers 
consumers hopefully will be able to benefit from that. But the Consumer Association, when they heard it was only businesses were going to get this discount from Electric Ireland, they were really fuming. They said it was galling and actually upsetting for consumers to see price cuts for businesses, but yet not at the same time to see price cuts for uh, households. It said it was time that consumers saw a price reduction because they're also pointing out that the wholesale energy costs have fallen back to 18-month lows. Now, in response, Electric Ireland has come out and said that prices for domestic customers hadn't risen since the 1st of October. And they also pointed out that it was in December of last year they did announce that they were going to forego any profits that they would have made on the residential electricity business and instead they gave all of their customers, I think we spoke about this yesterday, I think they have 1.1 million customers they're the biggest energy supplier uh, in this country and they gave all of their customers a 50 euro credit that went to every single residential household who gets their electricity from uh, Electric uh, Ireland Uh, Electric Ireland they say continues as it has since the onset of the cost of living crisis to offer the lowest cost standard variable tariff for residential customers in the market. Yeah, it might be the lowest, but it's still very, very high. Um, The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, he got involved in this. He told the Dáil he would meet with the energy companies to urge them to reduce electricity charges for domestic uh, customers. Now, he acknowledged that Eamon Ryan was already engaging with the energy customers, but the Taoiseach said... If it needs me, I will direct with them. Um, I will engage with them directly as well. And he also cited uh, Electric Ireland, you know, reducing tariffs for businesses, but not reducing them for uh, households. He said, I would like to know, and this isn't fully known yet, what profits they, now not just Electric Ireland, he's talking about all of the energy companies, companies. Exactly what profits did they make for last year? And he says he wants to see what that bottom line is. What were their profits? Because he says what he wants to be able to say to them is notwithstanding wholesale prices and retail prices, they, these are the profits that they're making and they should be giving back some of that money. Now Richard Boyd Barrett of People Before Profit, he said the level of profits being made by energy companies, he described them as being obscene. He said wholesale prices now at its lowest levels in 18 months. Jennifer Whitmore of the Social Democrats, she said domestic customers had seen multiple price rises in recent uh, times and they have been hit particularly bad because when we spoke about it yesterday, I mentioned that Electric Ireland, you know, when they come out saying, oh, well, we haven't put up the price since October, what they what they failed to say was they put it up twice last year and three times the, the year before. So people are paying the highest. It might be the lowest rate on the market, but it's the highest we've ever paid for electricity. Leo Radker said the next step for the government will be the windfall tax. He is still talking about and looking at a windfall uh, tax. He said a windfall tax would mean allowing the government to take some of the profits that the energy companies made last uh, year and indeed they're expected to make profits again this year and he said with the windfall uh, tax the government then will be able to use it to help people and to help businesses with their bills. However he did rule out in the Dáil yesterday a proposal that was put forward by People Before Profit that the ESB should be made a not-for-profit operation but uh, he didn't give a reason but uh, he has ruled uh, that out. So there's a lot of pressure now coming on Electric Ireland. We know Pinergy has 
have reduced the cost of their tariffs and they're giving a reduction to their customers. A lot of pressure now coming on Electric Ireland and the knock-on I'm assuming is if Electric Ireland do decide to pass on uh, any kind of discounts to their customers then you'll see the other energy companies uh, following suit. And one of our Kerry listeners is wondering when does the ban on the cutting of hedgerows uh, come in? He said some of their hedgerows in County Kerry have been destroyed of uh, late. Actually the ban comes in from uh, today and it remains in place until the 31st of August. This is the Wildlife Act. There's a ban on cutting hedgerows. There's also a ban on burning. That comes into effect uh, from today as well and we know there's been a number of um, quite significant gorse fires. Anyway, the ban on hedgerow cutting and on burning land comes into effect from today under the Wildlife Act and it remains in place until the 31st of August and of course the aim is to give birds and animals the best chance to breed uh, successfully and you know and we have discussed it in the past we have uh, some of our birds and uh, mammals are already in danger so it's important that they're given the opportunity to mate and to nest and to rear their young so that's why the Wildlife uh, Act introduces this ban on cutting of hedgerows and on burning land. And, and I know there's been a number of quite significant gorse fires in West Cork. And I also saw on Twitter yesterday down in Kerry, there was a lot of fire crews out um, in West uh, Kerry where there was a, a lot of uh, fires as well. So uh, technically now the Wildlife Act kicks in from today. So we shouldn't be seeing any more of that until after the 31st of August. And coincidentally, somebody called David just rang the programme to say when I mentioned that it was today was the 1st of March I forgot to also mention that it is St David's Day which of course is the patron saint of Wales and to wish all of the Davids listening a happy St David's Day so delighted to do that and thank you Dave for pointing that out to me 0818 103 103 Now today is the third anniversary of the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Ireland and sadly as we now know it led to the deaths of many people including up to 2,600 deaths linked to nursing home outbreaks. So what have we learned since the pandemic and could or should we be doing things differently, especially when it comes to our older population? Joining me is Magella Beatty of Care Champions and of course Care Champions represent families of residents in uh, nursing homes. Uh, Good morning to you Magella. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and and you're always very welcome to the program. Can I ask you firstly, what was your reaction to Professor Martin uh, Cormican? He was the HSE lead with Neffet, uh, who said restricting visiting to dying patients was inhumane. Do you wish he had said that earlier? Absolutely. You know, obviously we welcome his voice now. Uh, unfortunately, he should have said it a lot long, a lot earlier, and really. He is saying what our families have been saying for three years, except we don't have a medical degree. So obviously we weren't heard as a consequence of that. Um, you know, and in the last number of days, we're hearing an awful lot of conversations on the back of Martin Cormican's uh, comments. And I see uh, Professor Jack Lambert is out uh, also uh, adding his voice to Martin Cormican. But, you know, we were engaging with government. We were... Um, the Irish Association of Social Workers, Age Action. We were all saying this for the last three years. And we are the ones with lived experience and we should have been listened to. And Martin Cormack and we have dealt with him directly. So he knew what we were telling him long ago. And unfortunately, you know, hopefully his words now will help form um, the inquiry. 
But uh, for many of us, it's a little bit too late. Yeah, because you would have been saying it at the time that it was happening, whereas yes. he's now coming and reflecting and saying, oh, well, we got that wrong. But you're saying he they were hearing that on the ground that, so they could have they could have changed that particular ruling, which would have saved the utter heartbreak for so many families. Absolutely. And, you know, we have been, you know, I can recall myself even engaging um, with uh, Professor Cormican around visiting guidance, you know, in advance of, you know, the time um, the HPSC used to issue guidance every so many months. And we would engage and say, look, if guidance has not been upheld, families are not getting in, and he was acknowledging that. And his only solution to it at that time was go to HICWA, which sure HICWA don't deal with individual concerns. So they were fully aware. And, you know, the one line that he said in, 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 that we saw in that article um, was that he felt that there was no voice for residents. There was a voice, only nobody wants to hear it. And, Michella, are you still today hearing from traumatised relatives who lost loved ones during the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, Families are just devastated. They're as devastated today as they were the day that they that they lost their loved one. Or in advance, which you know, um, recently I just saw within our own group somebody made a comment. Um, my husband disappeared on X date, meaning the last day they saw them, and died on such day. And they can't, you know, in their mind, their loved one. They never, you know, in their mind, they didn't go through the. the the death process, that cycle of death, which we as human beings need to be able to grieve. And um, so they can't actually process that they're actually gone. So that would be a kind of a, a common trait, you know, and families who are begging to get in or trying to find out information, they're stuck in that night. You know, people say it's, it's not just in their waking thoughts and in their dreams. It's their nightmares. It's in their every breath. And it can't go away. And until we come to a point of being able to address what happened, you know. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, why, you know, our families continue to be stonewalled by government. And, you know, we can even see at the moment, um, one of the whistleblowers that we had who went public at our event in uh, DCU a number of weeks ago was from the HSE nursing home, St. Mary's in Dublin. And the following week, which would have been last week, uh, Yvonne O'Neill of the HSE announced that they were going to make public only the executive part of that report. So here we have, you know, families where over 24 people died, as we had huge numbers like that in Cork and elsewhere. Um, And we have staff given evidence of what they experienced and what they witnessed and the serious breaches. And And government and state agencies feel that it's appropriate not to tell grieving families what happened what happened in the lead up to their loved one's death? What was going on in there? This information is about people's husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And people need this information at this point to be able to come to terms with what happened to their loved one mm. and to be able to make it an informed. I suppose, I think, for a lot of families, it's the lack of knowledge. What happened? Who said what? It's the unanswered questions that's really traumatising them because obviously you will always think the worst. But even if it is the worst, when you have that answer, that stops the questions. So then you're, you've come to a point in your life, now we know what happens. How do we now start to deal with this to try 
and start back living again. Yeah, and to try and get that word we all was here about uh, following a death is to try to get some kind of, of closure. But when you've got so many questions whirling around in your head, you're never going to get closure and, and therefore you're never going to be properly able to grieve. Uh, for the loved one. Do you feel residents, um, Magella, with dementia suffered the most? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, uh, even right through the window visits, you know, before we started to develop concerns around um, huge numbers of deaths and, and standards of care and all of that, it, will, it was, always has been from day one a massive issue that Family members are going to windows and people with dementia couldn't understand. Like, why won't you go in for a cup of tea or they couldn't hear them? And they were getting distressed and deteriorating. And, you know, many people, they just gave up because they couldn't understand. And, you know, and that would be something that would haunt a lot of our families. Do they really believe that we gave up on them? They didn't understand the pandemic. Um, And, you know, their needs were so poorly met. And, you know, people who were left in rooms for such prolonged, inhumane periods of time. And particularly people with dementia were left without any communication. You know, we have family members whose loved ones, they actually lost they actually lost the bone structure in their face because of lack of engagement, lack of communication, and lack of support. So people with dementia, they had to, in their own little world, feel very much abandoned. Uh, and families on the outside were very much tormented by the deterioration that they were watching through the windows. And a big concern, which we would hope would uh, form uh, some part of a human rights inquiry, is around um, how behaviours, you know, people with uh, dementia would often display uh, communication behaviours and, and delirium. And, you know, how is that managed when nursing homes are very short-staffed? Was medication used as a means um, to enable staff to manage their shifts because they didn't have enough staff to look after residents? You know, plus, you know, because our family certainly, a very high proportion of our family members have reported that their loved one looked uh, very sleepy. Um, they looked very... Um, as if they'd been medicated. Yes, yeah. and I do think, you know, there, there are questions around that. Yeah, because um, I, I remember um, chatting with one woman who, who whose mother was a dementia patient and again uh, was the window visits and she had to stop doing the window visits mm-hmm. because her mother was getting so distressed um, because she couldn't understand why her, her daughter was outside the window, couldn't understand why she wasn't able to come in and the nursing home wasn't able to facilitate her coming in. So she had to just stop going to yeah. see her mother. And yeah. that was just an extra layer of guilt on top of everything else that she was already dealing with, that she couldn't even through the window see how she was doing. Absolutely, Patricia. And you have to remember, like, most of our family, a lot of our families would actually have that very same story. But if you look at what was happening worldwide at that point, when other countries were seeing that impact on their residents, what did they do? They look at the Dutch government, for example, in summer 2020, they saw, and this is like the pandemic had only happened a couple of months, they saw the detrimental impact on residents, particularly with dementia, that were regressing and deteriorating. They banned window, they banned the visiting restrictions and they put in place, be it through air filtration, uh, PPE, 
testing or whatever, but they ensured that residents had proper access to their families. So, and in Northern Ireland, of course, September 2020, they brought in a care system, care partners. We were still fighting for that. So yeah, other expli- countries Yeah, explain that to the, the care partner system that I know I've spoken with you before, but yes. just outline that to listeners. What is the care partner system, which, okay. which you're calling for should be introduced here? Okay, so basically care partners is what we are calling for is that care partners is implemented by Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health. It's very easy to implement. It's given residents a legal right of access at all times to somebody that they love. So there will be a nominated, now there's two in the north, but there will, what we are asking for is that each resident would have a nominated person who would have a legal right to spend time with that person every day or every evening or whatever, as much as they would like, no matter what is going on in the world. So if there is an outbreak or if there is any other reason, you know, um, viruses, there's loads of different things that can happen, no matter what is going on, that person has the same right to visit their loved one in a nursing home or a hospital setting. So if in the case of an outbreak, uh, and visiting is restricted or there's restrictions in, in society, that person is treated the same as a staff member, they do their testing, and they go in and they support that loved one. Yeah, and, and they can wear the mask, they can do the PPE gear, they yeah. can do whatever whatever is needed, but they're always allowed in to care for, and it's and it's for, for very vulnerable residents. 100%. So really, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's giving people um, quality of life, you know, it would seem to me that other countries saw family connection as something that was necessary for overall care. But in Ireland, we saw it as an, a luxury add-on. We saw it as something, we saw our residents, it would nearly feel to me, and um, the residents were nearly simply seen as a vessel of disease. They weren't seen as individual people with um their whole, with every, with their own thoughts and with their own um, emotions, feelings. Exactly and, exactly. and it's now been summed up by Professor Martin Cormican, who said it was inhumane what we did to, 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 to those um, older people. And I know, you know, in, in the defence of the decision makers, you know, they'll say they were doing it to try to keep everybody safe. But it was almost like, wasn't it, this country, we were operating through a prism of fear. That a lot of the decisions seem to be made through this prism of fear. Yeah, but you know, we didn't just do this in wave one, Patricia. We done this wave after wave after wave. Like when we saw the likes of Delgan and St Mary's and Silvergrove in wave one, at that point, like our decision makers are professional people. They weren't um, just people that they just pulled off off the side of the street to bring into a, a room, okay, how are we going to deal with this worldwide pandemic? So we're able, like we have the internet, we have means of communication worldwide. Well, what's working here and what's not working? And why are we hearing from distressed families? Why are we hearing, what, what are we doing wrong? So I don't think it's excusable to say, okay, it was a once in a lifetime event. We were working through fear. Absolutely, work through fear in the in the very initial stages of the pandemic. But then start but to learn. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and start stop, stop repeating the same mistakes. OK, um, Anne says, Patricia, we have to remember that COVID would have killed older people and people of all ages in that first year, particularly those in nursing homes. There had to be restrictions in place. Uh, they, they would have been giving out if no restrictions were in place. We have to remember that COVID was a killer disease. 100%. And, you know, um, nobody would want people in nursing homes to be safe more than their loved ones and their family members. We are, you know, um, we have always supported um, the guidance. The problem was that it was that access was, it, restrictions were taken to excess. So uh, we never wanted a free-for-all. We never went out and promoted that every nursing home should open its doors and everybody should walk in. What we requested was safe visiting that was done throughout the world. And we wanted a family member. You know, we have to remember, you have husbands and wives, you know, who spent their whole life, who were not going to supermarkets, who were not going to shops, who were not going out and mixing in the public. They were leaving their house that they lived in on their own. When their family visited, they came to their garden and waved in the window and they left that house where they had been in contact with no person and went down to look in a window at their husband or wife, whilst the staff, who I know we all have fantastic staff, but staff members, oftentimes we know that nursing homes have to rely on agency staff who are working in various different nursing homes. So they were coming from facility to facility. They were going home to their families, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they were going to the shops, going wherever. And they were going in and out to our loved ones. But yes, families family who absolutely love yeah, this person. I mean, yeah, I mean, here's here's an example of exactly what you're talking about. Somebody says, please don't call out my name, um, which is fair enough. But a relative of mine, this was before the COVID pandemic started. There was a roster of family members who used to go in uh, morning, dinner and tea time to help feed her because she was a very f- slow feeder. COVID came, none of us were uh, allowed in. She ended up when she died, she was underweight and the, and the doctor's cert actually said she was underweight and dehydrated. We felt she was left to die. She was a dementia patient. Uh, nobody there to give her her meals. When we were there as a family, she would eat, but she was a very slow eater. She lost over four stone before she died. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and sadly, you know, it, it's common because at the end of the day, if you recall back to pre-COVID days, nursing homes and hospitals, family members would go in and they would sit and, you know, um, particularly older people who might have issues with um, dysphagia or swallowing and they need that additional time to eat and they'd sit there and chat to them and they'd see the person and the staff could get on whatever they had to get on with. That was all taken away. So not only was did nursing homes go into staff, into staff crisis, they took away one of the strongest supports that they had, which was family. Yeah, yeah. The people who loved the residents the most and was going to do everything they could uh, to look after them. Uh, a number of people are asking this same question, which I was going to ask anyway. What happens today if there's a COVID outbreak in nursing homes? We're not still doing window visits, are we? Yeah, yeah. So um, the present public health guidance, it does allow for a nominated support person but that is guidance, so it's not. there's no obligation on a nursing home to follow through on that. It must be said that many nursing homes are, in fact, now following the guidance better than what they would have been 12 months ago, but not enough of them. I actually got an FOI yesterday from um, HICWA, which stated that um, 
the, in the last 12 months, so visiting guidance, about 12 months ago, the, the nominated poor person would have been brought in, which is a watered-down version of care partner, which is supposed to mean that in all, at all times a family member would have um, access. But uh, they said that there was uh, the, the FOI yesterday, I think it's 38 uh, concerns in the last 12 months around facilities not um, abiding by visiting guidance. So we would find that when an outbreak would happen in a nursing home and um, that's not, um, not, not following guidance, they ban visiting for 10 days, they test everybody, but that can roll into another 10 days and then you have people back at windows. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, listen. And you have people back restricted to their rooms. Yeah. And you know, and that's a major issue because not only all the standard things that we talk about during COVID, but essential services were removed from people, you know, physio, OT, People lost mobility, they deteriorated dramatically, and people who survived COVID will never get over the loss of those services. They have deteriorated so much. Yeah, and they're elderly people, they'll never get those years back. Just let me finish no. on a very positive note. Jeanette says, huge thanks and well done to Magella Beatty and all our care champions for their constant help and support to families who've lost uh, family members in heartbreaking situations in nursing homes all over the country. Families will be forever grateful for their constant fight to get answers to exactly what happened to our loved ones. And that's from Jeanette. Thank you for that, okay. Jeanette. And Magella, thank you. And thanks thank for joining you. us. Always a pleasure. We'll talk again. Thanks a million. That is uh, Magella Beatty of uh, Care Champions who represent families of residents uh, in nursing homes. An advocacy group for the rights of people living with a neurological condition has said patients here in Cork are being failed by the current shortfall in community neuro-rehabilitation teams. To find out more, I'm joined by Magdalene Rogers. Magdalene is Executive Director of the Neurological Alliance of Ireland. Good morning to you, Magdalene. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you for the opportunity well, to talk to your listeners this morning. Well, you're very welcome to the programme, I suppose. When we talk about neurological conditions, can you start by explaining what type of conditions we are talking about and how many people are actually affected? Hey, Patricia, so I suppose the staggering figure is that there are over 800,000 Irish people living with a neurological condition. And that always gets a reaction from people. It couldn't be that many. But if you think about the range of conditions that we're talking about, so everything from Parkinson's disease, motor neuron disease, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, stroke, required brain injury. Every one of us knows someone who's at, affected at by, least, by one of those conditions. At, yeah, we all know at least one person that has that condition. Exactly. But 800,000, that's a huge, uh, huge figure. And when somebody gets a, a diagnosis, and, and a neurological diagnosis can be absolutely devastating, how important is early intervention for managing that disease? It's absolutely critical, Patricia, like it is for many chronic chronic conditions, but especially for, for these conditions that affect the, the brain. And um, so we have the experience for, for people, for patients with these neurological conditions. And as I say, this, this hits them like a bolt out of the blue. And, and the sooner that they can get access to this neural rehabilitation, which, which means really services that, um, that promote recovery, for, for example, after a stroke or an acquired brain injury, the sooner you start your physiotherapy, your speech and language therapy, um, for that window of recovery uh, for people with neurological conditions, and also people living with progressive neurological conditions like multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's disease, where the, the most important thing is to keep them well and independent of the communities for as long as possible. So again, the sooner that physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy can start. 
And our campaign is for these dedicated community neurorehabilitation teams because what we're seeing, and particularly in, in, in Cork and Kerry, what we're seeing is that people are getting sporadic physio or not enough. And it's all, it's not coordinated as part of a single dedicated team. These teams, where they're available in the rest of the country, it's all pooled into a single team and the care is coordinated between the different health professionals involved. So the speech and language therapist will know what the physiotherapist is doing, what the occupational therapist is doing, or can refer one to the other. Exactly. And that is a really important part of managing these complex brain conditions, that all of the different health professionals are working together and, and they're working as part of a team and they're monitoring the patient's program, progress and they're all talking to each other. And at the moment, without those dedicated teams in place, there are people working independently and it's, and, and it's difficult for them to bring that coordinated approach. Again, as well, we all know that the services in the community are completely overloaded. Mm. So people people might be getting the experience of, yes, they can have physiotherapy, but maybe once a week, maybe, maybe two weeks, maybe for a set of six sessions, and then it stops. And that's completely inappropriate for someone with living with a neurological condition. So how many of these dedicated community neurological rehabilitation teams do we currently have? And in an ideal world, how many do we need? We need one, at least one, in each of the community health organisation areas. So that we need nine around the country. At the moment, there are only two up and running. Um, one in, in the northwest of the country and one in the midwest. But it's important to stress that where they are up and running, they make a tremendous difference to the care of people with neurological conditions in the community. And um, Keeping people out of hospital, we all heard at the start of the year about the crisis in our A&Es and not enough beds. Putting this network of teams in place nationwide would save up to 42,000 bed days. And that's simply because they get people out of hospital sooner because people have access to that rehabilitation in the community and they can be discharged sooner. And also it keeps people well so they're not going back into hospitals needing, they're not getting worse and needing, needing that care within the hospital system. And it's estimated that for each euro spent on these community neurorehabilitation teams, the health service saves 11 euros. Um, again, because it's keeping people out of yeah. hospital, which and is the most expensive yeah. form of Anything care. Anything that can keep people out of hospital. I mean, Magdalene, I remember... Um, covering this issue. Certainly it was before the pandemic and the need for a rehabilitation uh, team for the, the Cork and Kerry area. Was there not one promised before? I mean, I'm mean, i talking about probably t- 2019. This, there was a framework published. Um, Patricia, you've done, your, you've done your reading. Thank you so much. Um, they, there was a framework published in 2019 that called for these teams within each CHO and that would include a team for Cork Curry. And what we've seen is we've just seen very little progress since then. Um, and even in the areas where teams have been funded, there's been such a delay in getting them and getting them up and running in recruiting for for those teams. And unfortunately, Cork Kerry is a particular black spot when it comes to neurorehabilitation services. We've a lot of patients travelling to Dublin to the National Rehabilitation Hospital, and then the service is simply not there when they're going back to their families in Cork and Kerry. And, and it's, it's, it's not good enough to expect them to have to travel to Dublin. Exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, Cork is the second national neuroscience centre. The service in the neurology service of the neurosurgery services in Cork Uni- University Hospital are beyond par in terms of their expertise. And, and it, you know, it's an outlier in terms of international best practice not to have a rehabilitation facility attached to a major neuroscience centre like Cork. 
And it's also a, a designated major trauma centre. And again, having rehabilitation services is a critical part of of people recovering from major trauma. So yeah. certainly Cork and Kerry is very underserved. Because the consultants to, and the surgeons in, and the doctors in the hospital can only do so much. And then somebody gets discharged and that's where the, the community teams uh, pick up. Is it a funding issue, Magdalene, or is it a staff recruitment issue or is it a bit of both? It is a funding issue. So we have heard, we have heard following the launch of our campaign, we have heard that when the HSC service plan comes out and, and it still it still hasn't been published, that they there there should be funding for two additional community neurorehabilitation teams around the country. Minister Anne Rabbit announced that back at the budget and we're waiting to see it in the service plan. And we will be saying it's really important that one of those teams is prioritized for Cork Curry. Because as you say, this has been promised as far back as 2019. But it's important not just that the funding is in place, but also that the team is recruited as soon as possible. Because we've seen that lag in other parts of the country where the team has been funded, but there's still no team up and running on the ground. The recruitment hasn't even started in some areas. So it's funding and and the pressing the button on recruitment. So are you calling on all of the elected representatives in the area to get involved in this campaign? Absolutely. We had a launch last week, Patricia, where, where we, we called on local elected representatives to really address this issue and highlight this issue because I say Cork is an outlier in terms of its access to neurorehabilitation. And, and this makes such economic, as well as for patient welfare, it makes such economic sense to take the pressure off the, the hospital system by putting these community neurorehabilitation teams in place. OK, you're fighting a great fight. Keep it up, uh, Magdalene. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on and the programme. And people program. can find out more, Patricia, by visiting patientsdeservebetter.ie. That's our campaign website. Patients deserve better. OK, thank you for that, Magdalene. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Magdalene Rogers, Executive Director of the Neurological Alliance of Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. An, an item is on the paper. If you are prone to high blood pressure, this is an issue that might just raise your blood pressure ever so slightly because it's one of those issues that always seems to annoy so many people. And the issue is the subject of pay for our elected politicians, our TDs, our ministers, our Taoiseach, our Tánaiste, etc. And I read in the papers today that TDs' salaries are, as and from today, now higher than what they were when they were at the Celtic Tiger high point. The basic pay, this is now for backbench TDs, this is before expenses, has reached €107,376. The previous peak had been during the Celtic Tiger, that was back in 2008, when it was at 106582 And the reason we're talking about it today and the reason that it has passed that peak is all of the Oireachtas members and all of the public servants' wages, they're all getting a pay rise. The pay rise kicks in from today, the 1st of March. They're getting an extra 2%. Now, not everybody's going to be taking it, can I say, before people start getting apoplectic with rage at the thought of anybody earning that kind of money as a backbench TD or an opposition TD. The uh, Sinn Féin has come out to explain that their TDs, they agreed collectively 
to forgo any pay increases which were due under this current uh, agreement. And Sinn Féin say they would not be accepting the latest pay increase. People Before Profit, their spokesperson said the party was not in favour of TDs getting any kind of a pay increase. They say people on the ground are being hammered by the cost of living crisis and the party feels that it's incredibly unjust for TDs to be receiving an increase on what already is a very large salary, while people on very modest incomes are only receiving increases below the rate of inflation. People before profit said that their party TDs, they only ever take the average industrial wage and what they do with the balance of their wages then they're used to support causes and campaigns that put people before profit. Now the wage increase is due to all of our politicians because their pay is linked to that of a civil servant. So the TD's uh, wages going up to 107,376. Senators' wages will also go up. They are going up from 73,726 to 75,201 a euro. And their pay increases, can I tell you, doesn't end there. They're getting a 2% pay increase today and on the 1st of October next, we'll probably be talking about it again, they're getting another 1.5% uh, pay rise. And when asked if government, this is Anne-Marie Walsh writing, by the way, in the Irish Independent, when she asked if cabinet members will be accepting an increase, uh, the Department of Public uh, Expenditure spokesperson confirmed that all members of the cabinet are wavering almost 11% of their pay each year, including this year. And they they cite examples of the amount that's been gifted back to the state annually by the Taoiseach, for example, is nearly 25,000. Uh, the Taunish that gives back nearly 23,000 and the cabinet ministers give back just over 21,000. Uh, so they will not be accepting uh, the pay rise. Now, Oireachtas members and public servants pay. That was all cut under the emergency legislation that was during the economic crisis when God knows even pensioners were seeing cuts, everybody was seeing cuts at the time. So it was only fair that the, the, all of the Oireachtas members uh, took cuts. And at the time, a TD's basic salary back in 2013 fell to 87,258. Now, a lot of people would say 87,000 is still a huge figure, but that's what it, that's what it dropped to in 2013. And now it's up, as I say, the highest uh, rate ever at 107,000. The expenditure department has calculated that the gross annual salary of the Taoiseach has actually fallen by more than 35%. The Taunish and the ministers, their pay has dropped by 30%. And TD's pay, though, that has risen steadily. And the reason for that is it's risen in line with the public servants in the last few years. And there's been a number of, there's been a succession of uh, pay deals of which today's pay increase and the following 1.5% in October is part of it. Today's pay increase was agreed by the government and the union and officials uh, following a review last uh, August. Uh, The unions are due to begin, by the way, negotiations on a successor deal. And that will happen this uh, summer. Uh, So as I say, I know it's just one of those things that absolutely will you know people particularly backbench TDs and opposition TDs earning 107,000 odd euro a year a lot of people say you know are they just overpaid do we have too many TDs you know when you I don't know what they're running I don't know what the total is if you add up the total of how much does the doll and how much does the Senate cost but it's certainly from today uh, costing 2% extra with their pay rise uh, your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 jump 
Paul is taking calls. You can text and you can WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. And I want to take time out to say well done to the staff at Boherbury Comprehensive School, in particular the students of the ASD classes along with the transition year students because they got together to raise funds for the charity My Canine Companion. Now My Canine Companion, people may be aware of this um, charity, they're a wonderful, wonderful organisation. They provide trained assistant dogs for children with autism. Now they also provide therapy dogs for schools and Boherbury Comprehensive School actually got a school therapy dog called Ed and they got it from my canine companion in June of 2022 and seemingly Ed has been a wonderful addition to the school community and he's loved by the students and the staff alike. So Ed arrived in the school to Boherbury in June of 2022 so the students of the ASD classes who work very closely with Ed decided with their friends in the TY students that they do something kind of by way of a thank you to my canine companion. So they got together and they designed a Christmas Christmas card featuring Ed the dog. They pa- they were packaged up by the students and then they were sold in the school and at Boherbury post-, post Office. And then on the 2nd of December, they did a little bit of Christmas carol morning in the local Super Value in Boherbury and they sold the cards as well. And they've contacted me to say they've raised in total €242 Euro for my canine companion and they're handing that money over. And we just want to, and they've asked me to thank everyone who purchased the cards and everybody who supported the fundraiser. So well done. Uh, it's a, a kind and a generous thing that Boerbury Comprehensive School did but fantastic to see and hear about their school therapy dog Ed who is doing so well and continued good luck to the great work of my canine companion 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs General operatives wanted for a construction site in Rathgormac and it is to carry out housekeeping on site and to help the other trades. You can contact jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A part-time receptionist is required for DNG Galvin auctioneers there in Bandon. Now, experience in the property industry, that would be an advantage. CVs, please, and a cover letter to info at mgalvin.ie. A part-time bookkeeper is wanted. It's for a busy agricultural garage and it's in the Dunamore area, 87 233-7348 and construction workers are wanted it's for a new site in Blackpool you'll be required to help trades lift windowsills clean site etc CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now I had an email in from Cork Opera House to say they were delighted to welcome Pat and Faye Short to Cork with their live comedy show Well next Saturday night, March the 4th. And I'm delighted to say that we are welcoming father and daughter duo Pat and Faye Short live to studio this morning. It's a long time since we've had well, sometimes we've had Pat in studio live, and I've never I've had Faye before. I've never been here before. No, no. we've spoke, we spoken over the phone. And the minute she comes in, you're all talking about hair. Yeah. How's you doing? <laughs> I, I should have left you at his position. <laughs> and, and I have to say, when the when the when the two of you walked into into the studio, when I was ta- looking at the name <laughs> of the show, well, I'm from Clonmel. Yes. So we say well, yeah, as hello, okay. and I I have my sister when she sends a text message. 
starts her text message. I just you not with. Well, what same. time? What time are we meeting for lunch? And I keep saying to her, "Why?" And she, well, it's, and and I didn't say it's well. In, it's ingrained in you. Know, yeah, and now since I started doing this show with Dad and we called it well, I'm saying well to everyone and their and their their mother and their father, and I'm like, oh Jesus, but I've turned into one of the characters. A, it, I I used to think it was a temporary thing. Yeah, uh, as a greeting. Yeah, it's it's, it's instead of hello, you say well. Yeah, well, and, uh, but yeah. since we've been touring around. The Waterford crowd tell me that they own it as well, and actually they started it. Kilkenny yeah. crowd told me that they do it. I never heard. Yeah, they're always going to tell you that. Though. So, yeah, and somebody <laughs> down in Kerry said they do it. <laughs> they're just they're just robbing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get copyrights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it. But I think it goes with the Tipperary and it goes with the Waterford accent as well. Yes, well, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. Now this show came from the online shows because, and I know I spoke yeah. with you over yeah. the phone um, during during COVID. Faye, remind us how that all came about. Oh my God. It seems like we were even just talking about it there. COVID seems like a flashback. Three years yeah. today since the three, first case. Stop. Yeah, three years. Oh my today. God. I was in college three years ago today. So, so I was still in college at the time, and then lockdown happened, and we started making sketches together during lockdown at home together, and then Comic Relief or T did Comic Relief yeah. streamed it online, and we did a sketch for that with um, Deirdre O'Kane asked us to do the sketch. We did yes, that, yes, and then yeah. we did a sketch for the New Year's Eve um, stream. Um, on RTE everything was on yeah everything was on, on, on yeah and the, so we started making sketches through that and then we got a grant off the government um, Department of Arts and Culture um, to stream, live stream a show and then we just yeah we didn't stop working together then we just kept working together and the live show came about through that and uh, yeah, we just haven't stopped working together since. But that, but that was never part of. I'll talk to you in a minute, Pat. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Get to the good stuff first. I'm a hell of a good You can wave out and jump on. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of focused on Faye. Yeah, thank that, you, thank you. You went to the Gaiety School of Acting. I did. Yeah, yeah. So this, what you're doing now, was never really part of your plan. No, not at all. I was, I was going to go to London. I was going to move to London. Um, as soon as I finished drama college and I had big dreams of moving over to London and now I'm still living at home in Limerick <laughs> and I love it yeah. but you know what it's kind of nice because I didn't plan on doing it and I think that's kind of when the good stuff happens when you don't really plan it and it comes out of something that you was unexpected so yeah, this is all very... Um, but when, when you were in college, was, was it serious roles? Was was that yeah. when you saw your career? I mean, yeah. was, was, had you thought about comedy? No, I hadn't thought about comedy at all. I was like determined on doing very, very serious roles and nothing else. And then my... Um, my tutor in college said it to me one day. So like, obviously, everybody knew who you were. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, they knew... So I think he he probably knew. I had a, a brilliant uh, drama tutor, Donald Courtney, and he uh, he said to me, he was like, "Will you ever fucking do comedy for feck's sake? Like you're doing so much serious acting, um, and it's brilliant, but you need to try out other stuff." Because he knew I was kind of like going down that path for a reason, and I tried it out and I loved it. And um, but I didn't plan on working with you. Didn't no, didn't no, no. think that I was down the line. The, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, though. I mean, is is it in the genes? I don't know. Well, I think <laughs> it is, and I'll tell you where where I'm coming from. With this, uh, I did a program called "Who Do You Think You Are," yeah, uh, which went back through history, and I often wondered how I got into comedy and everything. Only to find out my grandfather was from Boran Offaly and uh, it was either an uncle of his or someone had been involved in the Oxmanstown Theatre, which is yeah. the local theatre in Borough, still is to this day, and he was a comedian in the theatre. 
And you so didn't know that? I never you didn't know, know. Yeah. the family knew it. Yeah, I knew there was a. I knew there was a relation was a set painter in it, and there was another an actor. Um, but this guy was acting, but he specialised in comedy, uh, which was really really funny. Right. So it kind of did kind of, and, and I know my dad. My dad was in teacher training college, and a good friend of his in college was Sean O'Shea, um, you know, the singer at uh, Pocket Williams. Yeah. And I remember meeting Sean a few times. I've, I've known him down through the years from different entertainment events. And him telling me that my dad used to write the comedy sketches in the in the, in the the concerts because they used to be all in boarding back in those days in St. Pat's and mm-hmm. teach training. And he used to write the comic sketches. So uh, it's in the genes. So, so it must be, yeah. yeah. There must be something in But it. obviously when you're in school, you don't watch you what, what you want to be when you grow up at. Oh, I'm going to look, be a comedian. Yeah. No, you see, well, especially, I mean, I think it's different nowadays in the sense nobody ever wants to be a comedian. I think you fall into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you might go to drama school and you might be a musician or something and that leads one to another. Mm. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, like when I was a kid growing up, there was no, I don't, do, I don't think there was any drama school. Uh, Trinity was at a drama society. I, d- I think the Gaty School of Action was the first, but I think it was the Gaty was the first. They didn't yeah. really start until after I was kind of out of school. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. That. So there was no formal. Uh, I, I think a lot of people in those days would have gone to London uh, dra- to Rada. Rada, Rada yeah, yeah Rada, Rada, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was none in Ireland. Now there's quite a few. There's loads. There's yeah. loads yeah. And but were you influenced? Did you want that type of career, not necessarily comedy? Were you influenced by by your dad? I mean, you grew up in a in in a household. That yeah, was open I think, to that. I think probably I was definitely aware. That that was an option that I could take maybe more so than than other people because you you don't see it and it's always a very like it's a it's a hard route to navigate because it's not known to a lot of people how to go to go to drama school because it's it's actually not on the CAO course it's audition based Isn't it? of course separately yeah, yeah. well for this particular college yeah. it was anyways um so yeah I my parents helped me out loads with that with getting you know um advice on audition prep and everything for the for the colleges but I don't know. I was between business, to be fair. And I was between business and DIT and I was between drama. And I said, if I get the drama course, I'll, I'll do drama. But if I don't, like, that's it. I'll do the business. Yeah, but and you're delighted it. Yeah, you're beaming. Yeah. So th- this show started out, as you say, on online. Pat, how do you take something that's online and put it into a live show? Well, I think we look for us. It was characters and stuff. And I'd been, in, I'd been doing live theatre for many, many years. So it wasn't a big change for us. It was more... What we did, well, I suppose we started working online and then we decided to go to do a stage show. So it's a different direction, yeah. a different, it is a different kind of animal in some respects. Mm. Uh, but w- what we did was take, we just took the performance between the two of us and that, that connection we had from doing the live, st- the, the streaming, streaming stuff. Streaming, yeah. Uh, and brought it to the stage and we wrote a whole new different approach to it. Who writes it? Well, both of us. Both of us, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean Faye, Faye's got some <laughs> great monologue type pieces in this show. Really, really funny. That yeah. Just light up the theatre every night and she really created all them herself and I'd sit back and, and help her as much as Faye sat Definitely back Definitely loads, me, but, yeah. But really, she puts her own stamp on it and it's her own material, but yeah. That's, that's what she does so well. We did know? a lot of that in college, though, which you helped. Did, it was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. We did a manifesto section, which was basically uh, learning to write your own pieces that you could create your own shows, you know, after college. So that helped majorly for me with this show. So um, you're helping to teach the Dan now, yeah. you? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't go as well, far as saying that. Yeah, well, every day is a school day. You learn from everything, and you know. Yeah, I think it's with. much easier to do the sketches online, though, than getting up and doing is it. Yeah, is that it? was a huge, but for me, it was, you'd been doing that for years. But yeah, um, Nerve-wracking. Yeah, I was nervous, even though I've performed in front of li- live audiences loads of times by myself without that. But I'm... Um, 
obviously being next to him, Jesus, like that's a, that's a different <laughs> gig altogether. Like different... having his name beside mine, I was like, oh God, what am I doing now? Different, different beast of yeah, an animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a storyline to oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah. suppose. That... <laughs> Not just us up dancing on the stage for, for two hours. <laughs> no. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Like we, look, we, we, I think with this show, we looked at dad daughter relationships and, and the embarrassment between how I embarrass her, unaware, un, un, unaware, and she <laughs> to me, and so on and so forth. So, we took these two characters who are um, a dad and daughter duo, duo country, country act. kind of act, yeah. coming back out of lockdown, playing in a local hotel. And I, I think we kind of hid behind them a little bit, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that allowed us to kind of steer away. Brazenly into certain scenarios yeah. and stories, and look, it's great crack. And we also created a storyline around them, you know, getting back outside of the, the sketches that we do about the embarrassment about ourselves and the monologue. And then there's some stand up in it as well for mm. myself. So it's a kind of a mix of all that, and the story brings us to an end, which is amazing. Every night, the audience really buy into yeah. that story. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great fun. And yeah. a number of texts coming in saying that people remembering their mother used to say, "Well, I we always <laughs> say well," and somebody says, yeah. "Well." Patricia. Hello. <laughs> Hello to Pat and Faye. Hon tip from a tireless woman and a former friend, a former fan of Bilko's. Do you remember, Pat? Bilko's. Bilko's. Is that a band? No, I no. no. no more information. No, I need more, a bit more yeah, than yeah, that. We, exactly, we need, yeah, yeah, the yeah, memory yeah. isn't great. The memory isn't great. <laughs> it freaks He's a bit, but I can't think of it. Now, yeah. Yeah, you'll remember this afternoon. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. About. Talk, you've had an incredible uh, year. Talk to me about the band Cheese. Oh, good Lord. Um, 
It was very disappointing last Sunday night. Oh, <laughs> the Sags. They didn't. The Sags. Yeah. They, I thought we might just creep. Well, when they were all winning the award. And the, the beauty about the Sags, of course, is if we won Best Ensemble, I would have got a gong as well, which is which would have been a nice one to get. Um, but, like, the it's been absolute whirlwind mad you know when you make a film like that it's up the west of Ireland it's, it's a huge it was a huge crew huge sets and everything else but quite a small group on set you know around mm. the, the, again it was Covid times as well wasn't it kind of yeah just at yeah. The, on the end of it yeah, uh, okay. stuff had kind of opened up film kind of kept going throughout when I okay. funny enough when, when it hit I was strange enough it's funny you said three years to this day because I was in Belfast back then doing it a thing called Frank of Ireland, a TV series, and I'm back in Belfast now with another film, and it's amazing how it, it's 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 all changed. The kind of the reaction to COVID, like, jeez, mm. we were locked in our hotel rooms, and food brought up to us, bags, doors, not. You come out, walk down on your own into a car in your it's own. Bizarre, it, it was bizarre. Yeah. It was absolutely. Yeah. We look, we will look back on this time and think, how does it? And, and we crazy. just we wrote yeah. in and and, and yeah. we did it. So it was funny. It was funny doing banshees because. It, it, like there was none of that and it was, it was much more relaxed which was lovely and it was a great film to work on so you never really expect the awards thing you know well, and Martin, you were out on the islands yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah. very nice. but with Martin then of course he's like like every film he's done has, has been Oscar nominated and won an Oscar even he's short he's very very first mm. film he won best director for that yeah um, so you kind of expect the eyes of the world are going to be on it but you know but I mean. did you know when you were filming it that it was something special. Yeah, look, he sent me the script about four years before we filmed it. And because it was due to film a year later. And he sent me the script yeah. and asked me to read it and would I do the part. And I was delighted because I'd worked a lot with Martin in theatre. And then I think it got held up with finances or something for about six months. It was just about to go and then COVID kicked in. And then yeah. everything was put on hold for another okay. year or so. So it was, it was like four years since I got the script before we ended up on set, which is normally... It's it's a bit long, but no, not too unusual either. And did you know back then it was going to be you yes. and John were doing sort of the yeah, double act? Yeah, yeah, I remember Martin. Yeah, I, well, I didn't know initially, but it was about a year, to the year before we started, I knew John was coming on board. Yeah. With it. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was you kind of knew from reading the script, it was just incredible. And a, a wonderful story by Martin. Now, I found out subsequently that it was one of the original trilogy plays he'd written. And he did, he never produced it as a play. Uh, it never made the stage, which made sense. And I think also that was a big part of why I thought it was amazing. Because personally, I I love his theatre. I've I've done four of his productions, but the world loves his theatre. Mm. And he's like, there's a there's a theatre company in Russia that just do nothing but McDonald in Russia. Wow. In Russia, that's <laughs> like it's bizarre all over the world. He's a friend of mine is down in in uh, Argentina at the moment and sent me a picture of a billboard down there with. Banshees of Inishir. Wow. Uh, as in, in one of the big cinemas in whatever, in Bazaars, wherever he was. But So it's it, all over the world, his theatre is loved. So when he was doing a film kind of around his, by his theatre, based around his kind of theatre productions, I just knew it would be something extra special. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love, I think the, the timing between you and John mm. is oh, yeah. so it's, good. It's incredible yeah. that one where John is repeating everything you were saying, yes. the scene with Colin Farrell, where, yeah. where God, your mm. heart breaks for poor Colin Farrell. I know. It's just the mm. timing of, yeah. of, of that. And and can I say, because I, I mean, I, I've I've seen the movie, but I'm always very aware of not that, you know, when people haven't seen yeah, the movie, of course. don't give yes. the plot away. Mm. We had John on before it was due to be released. You gave away the plot. <laughs> did, did he? he? did not. Oh, ah, no. Good man, John. <laughs> He, he he said what happens. Oh, stop it. Oh, my God. And he also nice. announced what happened to Jenny. No. He did, yeah. No. And then he had said, going, should I not be saying that? Oh, and I said, uh, John, don't. <laughs> don't. Pro- 
Crunch oh, that's brilliant. He was so he was so he was so excited talking. Uh, about it. So you, you you mentioned that you're 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 doing a movie about Belfast. Seems to be the place, it's isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Productions on all over the place up there at the moment, and I'm I'm involved in three different films. Um, I'm shooting on one at the moment, which I'm. I'm going back to in two weeks. God, he's not being greedy, is he? I know, yeah. <laughs> Give me one. I need a film. <laughs> I don't look. I, I'm I'm really chuffed at the moment. I'm not going to give away anything about it. No, or okay. anything about it, but I am working with the wonderful Pierce Brosnan, Whoa. who is incredible. Whoa. And I'm, I'm just having so much fun. He, are you his sidekick? Like, no, I'm not. Are you all well, dressed I, up like his sidekick? <laughs> no, I'm looking. Well, my character is a friend that he's in the film, but okay. but uh, no, it's just wonderful to spend time in a green room with him and a dressing mm. room. And nice we, guy, we I'd say. Is he's he? incredibly yeah. nice and yeah. incredibly funny. And, and just gorgeous. and great, <laughs> great fun. <laughs> Very to be pleasant around. on the eye. Yeah. But he's just so no, but for a guy that's one of the biggest stars in the yeah. world, and mm. at one stage was the biggest. Yeah. When, when doing his bond, and he, and he was to me one of the best bonds ever. Uh, not just saying it because I, I'm working with the guy now, but I, I really, it's I, now I haven't said any of this to him. <laughs> I'm hoping we're far enough away from the Belfast. <laughs> but uh, you'll pretend you don't know him then. I'm saying it's, it's just a, like I'm pinching myself every day, which is fantastic. Do you get intimidated when you meet really big stars like that and you're on set with them? Do you ever kind of think, oh, what am I doing here? No. Does that ever run through your head? No, no, no. no. Well done. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're doing a good job. Like, I mean, I've, and I've worked with some of the biggest stars in the yeah. world. You know, yeah. with, whether it be Daniel Radcliffe or Colin Farrell and Brendan Leeson, you know, and, and various others. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Or <laughs> Faye Short. <laughs> <laughs> you know yourself. I've tried since a child. <laughs> <laughs> haven't haven't yeah. worked with anyone. Chris Brosnan, Faye Short, Chris Brosnan. Is, would you love? Would you? I mean, with all the the gaiety acting training and all of that. I mean, I know the comedy knows the focus at the moment. Yeah, is it still the dream? Oh, definitely. Yeah, is yeah, it? yeah. I have a and I'm an agent in the UK and an agent in Dublin. So, like, I'm auditioning as well on the side yeah. for things, and it's just yeah. The look well, it's at so the, hard. To look at the draw. Like, it was to get the hard. break. It was very hard yeah. when I was starting now because there wasn't any films happening. There was very yeah. few or TV mm. shows. Now it's quite the opposite. There's loads happening, but there's loads of talent. Talents, a lot of talents, yeah. And, so, and the other side of it is online uh, uh, because all self-tapes, people are auditioning from all over the world for the same role yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. And they're changing their accent. They're not just, so they're not just auditioning because it's so easy now to get a self-tape from a young actress in um, California or New York of course or it's, yeah. it's very different or, or mm. New Zealand very and, different and they'll send in a tape and if they're really good you'd never have seen that before because yeah. the, the world has just gotten so much smaller yeah. so and it's just to get that break isn't it that's I mean, that's it is yeah, need, yeah. you just yeah. need to get in there and get going yeah. and, and yeah. It'll, it'll come it'll, it'll come yeah. hang in there uh, Bill Coe's was a miracle chipper near the Ursuline convent oh, I do. That's and let's I say the owner <laughs> was a carbon copy of a TV character at the time Bilko, obviously the TV. That's where it's. Okay. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> Thank that. you for that. That's, <laughs> that's funny. That's from the. That's from the. From the. The, the woman. Somebody's asking about uh, killing a scully. Would you ever been back uh, killing a scully? What is it about killing a scully? Whenever it comes on TV, I can just. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're the same. Yeah. I can just sit and rewatch it. Yeah. 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 It's like Father Ted. It's that. One of, look, it's one of those shows, isn't it? I mean, it's timeless, and that's deliberate in the sense when we wrote it. Because uh, I started the concept, but I brought in other writers, Mike Finn, uh, Joe Rooney was involved as well, and, and a few more. But the whole design of it was that not to set it in a time that we didn't want to, let's say we didn't mention Charlie Hawhey, we didn't mention Bertie mm. and people like that, that might anchor it to a certain time, and then it becomes dated. So we just specifically didn't make any contemporary references to avoid that and even costume wise with Jackie who's an amazing costume designer and Angel that worked with me on it um, they were got the strict kind of 
think that not to, the, the, the clothes could be of any time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. The boys at the bar could be sitting in the fifties. That's true. That's and, true. You know, yeah. yeah, that was it, clever. There's there's all those kind of things were were by design as such, um, and the script and as I say and everything else. So I think now it hasn't really aged, even mm. though it, it, it there's certain little things okay you could say, but overall it hasn't, and it's all about the storyline and the plot and the daftness. And then it was designed for families. Mm. It wasn't. It was pre watershed. Uh, it used to make me mad when I get we get compared to Father Ted, even though I was in Father Ted as well. But Father Ted was post Watershed originally, mm. which was much different. It's a different style of writing and everything. And when the journalists used to say that, I was surprised at them because some of them quite uh, quite competent TV critics who were working in the industry for years and they didn't understand the difference between pre-watershed and post-watershed. And that, 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 that they'd start comparing you and you're kind of going, they're not like... No, 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 they're completely mm, different. Completely different. Uh, yeah. but, but an expensive show, it, it was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Well, look, it was at the time when there was money going around. Yeah. Uh, RT had lots of money uh, at that time um, because of advertising and budgets and so on and so forth. And every penny we got, we put into the production. So, yeah. Saw, yeah. Like, so you, could, stunts, you can see that, yeah. The stunts, the cast was big. You know, those type of things. And we were one of the first productions to, to shoot outside of Dublin. Now, the consequences of that, people out there that wouldn't work in the industry would realise that it's accommodation, for example. Yeah. If you work in Dublin, <clears throat> if you're a crew member from Galway and you get a job in Dublin, they won't pay you accommodation in Dublin. You've got to pay for it yourself because it's unionised. Whereas if you leave Dublin and go outside and the production down the south, all those costs are expected to be taken on board by the production company. What they were trying to do is keep all the productions in Dublin Incredible. and not have them mm. down here. Incredible. We were the first production in Munster for, and at the time, the largest audience for RT was out of Munster. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas a lot of Dublin and other parts of the country in multi-channel land, and so was Munster in multi-channel land, but this, the audiences were more uh, true to their own station, RT. And uh, I thought... At the time, my argument to RT was, this is your biggest audience. You should be doing something down here that is written, produced and done out of Munster. For, and they went for, for the it. Whole, and they went for it. And yeah. it turned out to be yeah. one of the biggest, mm. it turned out to be the biggest comedy show. As I say, it's like it, 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 they, they, they keep re-showing it and but stuff. The ratings, yeah. Are, yeah. ratings are through the roof. Yeah. I mean, for TV, we're, we're doing 250, 300,000. And how long ago was, was Kill the Scully? This is its 20 year anniversary. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I first did the first that's one in 2003. Of course, yeah. there's a whole new audience yeah, now. Yeah, you know. And the thing is, the other side of it was RT don't do repeats and royalties and all that kind of stuff. And we had that written into the contract. So I shouldn't be saying this now. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. No, but as a result, they don't manage it. So they didn't show it again because okay. they would have had to manage it. So when it came to, uh, when, when the pandemic happened, there was a shortage of production stuff. Mm. They approached my office and said, look, would you guys take on the management of all that so we we look after the royalties for all the actors and everybody mm. involved out instead of RT so that's the only reason we're back on air and now that the, we organise all that and have it working fine RT are quite happy to put it back well done, the well done. So well done. Yeah, do you get a kick Faye out of, out of watching your dad yeah. in productions of that yeah it was very like I still remember if being on set when it was being filmed. Do you? Yeah, I do yeah. remember. I think I was in it like twice as well. Two episodes. Two, yeah, two episodes. <laughs> claim to fame. Um, but yeah, no, I had a great childhood because of Kill the Scully. I spent most summers down there on set. It was great crack. And do you look back at any of the old, like, unbelievable stuff? Do, yeah, I've that? seen clips of it there. It was you're brilliant. In, you're in one, Am actually. I? Yeah, 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 I didn't even know it, that. She's the very, very last one which called, it was a demand, the mother. Was and it? there was a big scene in the in a field 
and Caroline, my wife, is walking across. And she, you're only two. Oh. <laughs> She's walking across. But she, we brought everyone in as extras to get you okay, in the background. Okay, okay, yeah. that's you're funny. You're old royalties. Uh, yeah, I know. I haven't seen a penny. Hey, I'm starting to get old royalties. <laughs> <now, isn't> <laughs> And, and uh, what's it like living at home and working, and working together? together. Yeah. Um, it's actually fine. Like, I think everyone would expect, like, you'd be, you know, killing each other at this stage. But no, we get on great and it's fine. It's um, obviously sometimes you have to, uh, like, break down work versus, you know, being at home and relaxing and all that. But no, it's it's very natural. And this is my wife's delight. Yeah. <laughs> I walked out of a car. I haven't seen her in a few weeks. And, and, we, and we... any <laughs> any of the other children showing an interest in showbiz? Um, no, no, not, no, no, not really. Not, but they kind of. I don't know. It's bubbling you away never know. You never know. I wouldn't be surprised. But then I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if they go down a different route. My brother is brilliant at the drums. Uh, okay. So I feel like music, music might call yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah. And then I feel like my sister Lily's a big, she's a very good businesswoman. I is feel. She? Yeah, she's. Yeah. You see, you need an accountant. In the yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. She's she's have, savvy. Have she's out. tech savvy. So it's one night only, isn't it? Yeah, in, in one night. Cork uh, Opera House. And is this is this is this current production well? Are you coming to the end with this? Yes. And and, yes. and then what? Yeah. Well, we we've decided to put another show together because mm-hmm. okay. we, we've enjoyed this so much. This tour is finishing in, in May? the end of April. Beginning of May, first week yeah, of May. Yeah, first week we've yeah. a gig in May for sure. And then um, we're going to start writing in around September, is it? No, no, we're no. Doing July. July. Oh. July, we'll start working <laughs> on it. Yeah. No, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a production in June and away in May to another thing. So we're we're starting writing in June and we should be on the first start of the tour in October. Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And are you very conscious and aware of the woke generation? Obviously, you've got the youth on your side with Faye. Yeah. Do you say, Dad, you can't say that? I feel like you're not <laughs> controversial, though. Like, I, I yeah, feel like no. Dad's comedy is really like, I actually had someone say that to me yesterday and I, it was only then I realised, yeah, that's probably why we I, we haven't had that conversation because you're well, not. We don't, I've never done it. You're not like I, that. No, as long as, yeah. as long as I've been doing comedy and even back to the unbelievable days uh, like we would never there was never anything there offensive was racist no. or offensive or anything because you like can that. get cancelled so quick. yeah and I so feel like I'd be today. aware of that obviously yeah. because I see it so much on social media well we do daft humour that's what yeah. we do silly daft characters yeah. that reflect yeah. ourselves and makes us look inward and laugh at ourselves yeah. it's not about pointing at other people it's about looking at ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the most recent, I suppose, one was the, the Tommy Tiernan joke was was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, I heard the joke. I didn't even find it. I funny. didn't hear it now. I, I, have to yeah. say. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even find it funny. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And what what really got to me about it was his daughter had said to him, yes. "You can't say, say that." that. Yeah. And yeah. he says, says, you're thinking... I think he was pushing buttons. I mean, I like Tommy. He's yes, a great listen, comedian. Yeah. He's a yeah. wonderful And he's, he's he's a TV wonderful show TV is fantastic. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. But, but that was wrong on every level. Yeah. <laughs> if I told you not to say it, I'd kill you if you said yeah. it live on the show. But would you, you'd listen. Would you? Yeah, I'd yeah. yeah. listen. I would. But yeah. then I, I just didn't see anything funny about that. Anyway. No. I, I, no. I, I, no. I don't was know no where that was going. No. I don't know what that was about. Yeah. Um. Was it creating controversy? Was it deliberate? I don't know. Hard to know. He's regretting it since. Yeah. Anyway, well, one night only. Um, and it's a show for all the family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. All age groups. Yeah, I think there's a few, only a few tickets left for Cork, actually. Okay. Funny enough, it's, it's been up on sale for a while. But I think, yeah, it's very, very It's going to be good fun. So oh, listen, we've we loved having you both in studio. And yeah. we'll look forward to having you back when the new show. Thank yeah, you. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, well... You'll be, you'll be welcome anytime. Fat and uh, fat. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. Say and pat. You should be cancelled for that. <laughs>
Yeah, we'll say Faye. Faye and Paz. <laughs> Thank you for joining <laughs> us in studio. Good morning to you. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And actually, somebody sent in a lovely text earlier to say, Patricia, aren't the daffodils just beautiful this year? It must be the wild weather. They're making me uh, smile. And that's from uh, Mary. I'm a huge fan of daffodils, I have to say. I absolutely love them. And they always make me smile. I think there's nothing better than if you're driving along, you know, um, some of the towns and the, um, I'm assuming it's the tidy towns groups and the council as well, when they, when they plant loads and loads, hundreds and hundreds of daffodil bulbs. And it's just the sea of... Uh, yellow you can't help but smile so yeah I agree with you on that if you've got a gardening question uh, get it in please and now here's one of these dilemmas that only came up recently again on the programme and it's to do with somebody attending a wedding and what's the appropriate present to give because of course we know now when people go to weddings it's it's cash people give it's it's money gone are the days of going out and buying a kettle or a toaster Somebody says, Patricia, would you ask your listeners, please, would they just be able to steer me in the right direction? What would be the going rate to give to a goddaughter who is getting married this year? Thanking you in advance. You see, it's it's really tricky when it's a goddaughter. You think you've probably got to be a little bit more generous than if it was, say, a niece or a nephew or it's a friend. You know, it's I'm I'm assuming that that's what you're thinking. But the last time this came up was when somebody was traveling with their father up the country to. And there was a lot of expense involved in the wedding because it was an overnight stay in in two overnight stays in a five star uh, hotel. And lots of people were saying the very fact that they were traveling to the wedding should be enough of a, a gift and we got all kinds of different answers as to what is the going uh, rate and I, it, I, to me it's a very personal thing because I, and I know I think where you're coming from the fact the very fact that you've stated you're not just going attending a friend's wedding it's your goddaughter's wedding so I take it you're thinking should you give more because it's your goddaughter my advice always is is give what you can afford uh, to give, and I certainly wouldn't be suggesting that anybody puts themselves in, put you know, they put themselves into financial difficulty because that's not what your goddaughter would want. Your goddaughter wants you to be there because you are their godmother or godfather. I don't know if it's a male or a female uh, texter. Um, and if you are struggling financially and you know you don't have a lot of money in which to, uh, to give, I would suggest go out and buy a gift. I mean, people give cash because, you know, it's just become the norm of late. But there's nothing set in stone to say that you have to give a financial gift. So you could go out and buy something for your goddaughter that your goddaughter and her husband will have forevermore, like a keepsake from the wedding, something that they will always have. Because that's the one thing with a lot of people that are getting married in the last number of years since, you know, money came in rather than wedding presents there's going to be a whole future generation that won't be able to have anything in their household that they can say I got as a wedding present because we've often hear when we're doing any sort of a reminiscent uh, piece we'll often hear from people say oh I got that as a wedding present or I still have that I got it as a wedding present only lately we were talking about the boxed sheets which were all the rage certainly in the 80s the Greenhill sheets and the number of people who contacted us to say at the top of their hot press there's still a box of sheets still in the original packaging that they got as wedding presents and you know keeping it for a good occasion and they never got to use it and people will have tea services and will have all kinds of crazy things that they still have as a wedding present but certainly 
in the last number of years when it's all been cash. I wonder in years to come will couples regret the fact that they don't have something that they can say yes I actually got that as a wedding present. So I would suggest that that if it is I don't know if it's a financial reason that you're contacting us or you're literally just looking for for the guide uh, price. I know the last time we put it out there as to what are people giving at the moment people were factoring in the cost of living. If I had done, if I'd asked the same question, say, to, say certainly pre the pandemic, we would have been looking at figures like people saying, well, if it's a couple going, I give 200 euro. If it's one person on their own going, I'm attending without a plus one, I'll give 100 euro. But certainly when we, when we did it earlier on this year, people were saying with the cost of living, couples some of the couples who contacted us were giving 300 euro when they were attending a wedding and a number of single people said when they went on their own they gave 150 euro but that's when you're attending a friend's wedding or maybe a relative's wedding maybe you want to give a little bit more because it, because it is your goddaughter but that certainly was what we heard was the going rate if it's a couple 300 euro and 150 if you're going on your own 0818 103 103 if anybody wants to offer advice there please do I mentioned that the TD's salary and all the houses of the Oireachtas all their salaries have gone up from today 1st of March Oireachtas members and all public servants all the civil service their wages have gone up by 2% today and they have another pay increase due later on in the year 1st of October when they get a further 1.3% pay uh, rise and this is all to do with a building momentum agreement that was agreed by the government back in August with also the news that the unions are due to begin negotiations on the successor to that deal uh, this uh, summer but that's what unions do unions bat and go out on behalf of their workers and in this particular case it's the civil servants and if the civil servants get a pay rise the knock-on is the all of the Oireachtas members have to get pay increases as well and I mentioned that now for the first time that the basic pay for a basic TD we're not looking at ministers Taoiseach Tónis um, a basic TD so that would be your backbench TDs or any of your opposition uh, TDs it has now reached 100 from today 100 without expenses 107,376 uh, euro and and that's the first time it's gone higher than the peak in 2008 when we were, when the Oireachtas members were being paid what could only be described as Celtic Tiger uh, wages. So it's the first time it has surpassed that. One listener was listening to me talking about that and said it is inhumane. That's a strong word to use. That TDs are getting that kind of money while they're expecting pensioners to live on €245 a week. I'm on that pension and I simply can't live on it. I've even had to lock my gas because I simply can't afford it. It is disgraceful. And that comment very much ties in with what I mentioned earlier with the Society of St Vincent de Paul coming out today talking about the number of families last year who requested help to pay energy bills. The energy bills in particular are causing huge, huge amount of concern uh, to families and actually Vincent de Paul and I know I was talking to John Paul in the office, we were hoping to try to have them on um, at some stage this week to talk about it because I know one of the points that Vincent de Paul were making earlier are customers that are on, you know the prepay customers, the pay as you go uh, because the cost of energy has gone up so, so much. Many prepaid customers and prepaid customers, not in all cases, but in the main, are customers on very low income. They don't want to get a big bill in, so they prefer to pay for their electricity or their gas as they're going along. And they've been doing fine by prepay 
until the cost of energy went up. And since Vincent de Paul are saying that many of the people who are the prepaid customers that they're hearing from are actually using the emergency uh, credit. And then when they get the money to top up the meter, they're shocked at how quickly the meter runs out after topping up. So because of that, people are you know trying to keep the lights on and people are you know even talking about I can't afford to have a shower. I can't afford to even put the lights on. They're trying to save on their electricity. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that a pensioner is struggling on €245 Euro a, a week. So yeah, I can understand that when you hear then of somebody on €107,000 a year, it's it's... It's, it's, it, the TDs themselves will say that they are well paid. 0818-103-103. And Tony was on. Tony is uh, has been is a Parkinson's uh, sufferer. He was on. He was listening to my interview earlier with um, Magdalene, who joined us. Magdalene uh, Rogers from the Neurological Alliance Ireland, talking about the need for this neuro rehabilitation team and how badly we need one here for this area. It would cover Cork and uh, Kerry. Tony said, "Thank you so much for having Mags on your program to." highlight this issue. As she said, Cork is really left out in the cold. We see it every day. Our members are in hospital when they shouldn't be in hospital. And uh, when in hospital, they're there longer than they need to be. And remember, every euro spent on rehabilitation would save between nine and 11 euro by keeping people out at a hospital. And I thought that was one of the points that Magdalene of the Neurological Alliance Ireland made. That was one of the strongest points she made, that it's almost false economy if the HSC are saying oh we can't afford to put these newer rehabilitation teams community teams in place it's a false economy because if they had those teams in place people who are suffering from many of these different neurological conditions it would keep them out of hospital and anything we can do to keep people out of hospital because there's a huge cost for anybody going to hospital so yeah I do agree I think it was a very strong point uh, that she made and then Anne has been on to us uh, to say and I'm going to have to get clarity on this Anne Anne said are people aware that when a person who lived on their own ends up having to go into long-term care, i.e. somebody who's been living on their own, becomes unwell, not able to look after themselves and they have to go into a nursing home. Anne says, do you know that the Department of Social Welfare will advise the TV licence records section that the person has gone into long-term care and then the free TV licence is cancelled? It appears that the person in long-term care is then liable to pay the €160 for the annual TV licence although the house is not occupied. Another issue is house insurance. It's just another black mark for the elderly disgrace on the powers that be, uh, says Anne. Now, I can understand house insurance. I mean, there will be very few people, even on a house that's locked up uh, and there's nobody in it, you need to keep up the house insurance. I can understand that, even though the, the person, because if anything went wrong, if there was a flood or a fire or whatever, I can understand the house insurance. I'm a bit baffled about the free TV licence. If a house is unoccupied, I know you pay a television licence once there's a TV in the house. And I know on summer lets, you have to have a separate TV licence. Like if, you've, if you're in the lucky position that you have a holiday home, you have to have a separate TV licence for the holiday home uh, as opposed to the house where you live in. You can't just, when you're going on holiday, say, oh, sure, I'll bring my TV licence with me. That that doesn't work. So I did, do I take it from that, that even in an unoccupied house, once there's a TV, a working TV in the house, a TV licence has to be paid. If that's the case, I can't understand why 
the TV licence would be removed from somebody just because they've gone into nursing home care. What I would because I'm assuming, Anne, that what you're talking about, you're, you're, you're speaking from experience, I would say, from your, your text. I would take it on to somebody like the Citizens Information just to get clarity on that. It doesn't, I'll, I'll try and do a bit of a research on it this afternoon. I haven't come across it before, Anne, for sure, but let's put it out there because no doubt if it's happened, it's happened. If it's happened to you, Anne, and a relative of yours, it certainly happened to others. But I can't understand whatever about taking the television licence away because the person's got into long-term care, that's fine. But then you're saying because the house is locked up and the house is still owned by the person who's gone into long-term care and is in the nursing home, the nursing home resident is now expected to pay for a TV licence even though he or she is not living in the house anymore. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It really doesn't add up. So if anybody can clarify that and in the meantime, and I would suggest if you get on to, get on to Citizens Information and just seek and they clarify it for you. 0818 103 103. Ailsa in says, my goddaughter got married in 2019. I gave her 500 euros for both me and my husband, but I'm very close to her and I'm mad about her. Uh, so I am aware not everyone may be as close as we were so I decided to give her more than you would give for a normal wedding. Thank you for that. That's from Ailsa. Patty McCroom says I gave my daughter 400 euro and that was to cover me and my wife. So again, giving more than you would because it's your goddaughter. And Orla in Bally de Hob says usually for a goddaughter it will be 200 euro if you're single and 400 if you're going with a partner. Uh, but as Patricia said it very much depends on the person's finance. There is no justification um, oh, sorry, no, that's something else. OK, it, yeah, that's the point I'm making as well. And I, and I do think from the listener who sent in the uh, text, I just I would hate to think of somebody putting themselves under financial pressure. And certainly if it's a much loved and you're very close to your goddaughter, it is the last thing your goddaughter would want. If you can afford to give it, give it. If not, go out and buy a present. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Anne and Cara are holding their Cork City meeting in the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel uh, this evening at 7.15. All bereaved parents are welcome, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances of death. Any bereaved parent in the Cork area or surrounding areas are very welcome to attend. If you'd like more information, you can call 085 288 National School in Coolagown in Formoy are holding an open evening in their school tonight from 6pm to 7.30. The purpose of the open evening is to allow the community to view a newly built classroom and office as well as welcoming new entrants. Refreshments will be served on the evening by the Parents Association. And the monthly Mass in honour of St Pio that goes ahead tonight 8 o'clock in St Joseph's Church in Lismire. All are welcome. Rathcormac Men's Shed meeting will be held tomorrow in their new location that's the Rathcormac Old National School and it's at the new time at 10.30 tomorrow morning all are welcome and the popular annual Mallow Daffodil Day quiz will be held tomorrow Thursday in Albert's Bar in Mallow half past eight tables of four 40 euro per table great prizes great spot prizes all support gratefully appreciated with funds raised going to Marymount Hospice. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie. 
This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Okay, just on the TV licence issue, and I still can't understand why a TV licence would be cancelled just because the owner has gone into a nursing home, yet the house unoccupied, you still have to pay a TV uh, licence. And people are saying, yeah, Anne uh, is uh, right. Somebody says once there's an aerial uh, in on the house or any kind of way of receiving TV like a satellite dish then the house is uh, liable but I just can't understand why they're cancelling it because the person has gone into nursing home care and yet the person still owns the house and then they're responsible for the 160 euro John and Cove says there's no justification for the TV licence particularly when you have the likes of uh, the Ryan Tuberty and others in RTE getting huge pay their pay was only announced there uh, recently if a house is unoccupied, the owner of the house must still pay the TV licence if even if the owner is not there, has gone into a nursing home. So why people are paying for a TV licence, the money is making up their wages. So this money with nobody living in a house is still going to RT1 or RT2 or Radio Nguyen. Well, they get the largest, RT get the largest uh, portion of the uh, TV licence uh, for sure. But I was I was unaware. Um, but I still need clarification as to why it's been cancelled. Tom says, our mother's in a nursing home and the TV licence demand kept coming in into the house. There's no one living in the house but we paid the licence as the letters were in her name and they ended up coming in in red in the end with a threatening letter and our mother is of that generation that she doesn't like to owe bills so we just paid it. So I assume at some stage Tom she did have the free TV licence. Okay we'll try and get clarification as to why they cancel it. I mean it can't be a huge proportion of uh, people um, you know who end up in nursing home nobody left in the house and I mean why are they still charging particularly when if the bill falls back on the person that's in nursing home care I really can't understand it okay we'll try and see if we can get a clarification on uh, that okay some of your texts uh, coming in um TDs getting the pay increase that I mentioned. They got an extra 2% uh, today and they're getting an extra 1.5% in the end of October. And this summer, the unions are back in negotiations on a successor to this uh, deal. Shea said, TDs and their pay rise. All I can say, there will be a very interesting canvas for the next general election. Will the people stand up and show solidarity to each other or will they return all of the same politicians again to Dáil Éireann? And then guess what? They'll spend the next five years years moaning about them. At the polls is the place to do something about them and let them know in a polite and mannerly way, not by roaring or shouting or slamming doors in their face faces. Talk to them calmly. Be very respectful. Be very firm. But let them know how you feel and then you show it with your vote, says uh, Shay. Okay, also on Heidi, Patricia, this is our money that you're talking about that the TDs are getting. They get paid from our taxes that we have to find and scrape money together to pay for these TDs. How in the name of our Lord can this be right? They get plenty of money as it is, said Heidi. Why are they getting a pay increase? Well, they're getting the pay increase, as I explained. They get the pay increase uh, because they're tied into civil servants. So anytime a civil servant uh, gets a pay increase, then they uh, get it. And uh, if a Moy listener wonders, do we really need as many TDs as we have? For example, what are they doing to earn that kind of wage? wage every year. Look at the homeless situation, look at our housing crisis, families with no uh, money and yet we have all of the TDs getting extra 
getting extra money today. And we could, at the next election, uh, for my listener, you won't be happy with this, we could end up with more TDs because the number of TDs is based per head of population and we know our population has gone up so there's going to be boundary changes and with that will come, there will be extra TDs. Certainly, I don't know for here in Cork how many extra TDs we have, but we certainly will have more TDs at, after the next uh, general election. 0818103103. I can see gardening questions coming in. Keep those coming in on wedding presents and how much to give. Christine and Carrie Galine. I sometimes would give a gift or, says Christine, I'd give a combination of a gift and some money. What I hate is the feeling that you have to cover the cost of the meal. Surely if you can't afford a big reception, then keep the guest list to a minimum. And that's from Christine in uh, Carrigaline. And I actually was listening to a wedding planner a few weeks ago who was talking about that. And it was talking about couples today when they do go for the big wedding. And we are returning to the big weddings. I mean, COVID times changed a lot of the way we did uh, weddings. And there was there was talk for a while that would we remain at these small intimate weddings. And a lot of people who got married during COVID time said it was the best thing they ever did. And they loved the fact that they had this small intimate wedding. But we very are much back to the big weddings. Big weddings are really back and very much in vogue. But I heard a wedding planner say that the bride and groom on the, you know, the night of the wedding are frantically ripping open cards to count out the money to make sure that they have the balance that has to be paid to the hotel, which is, I don't think is the ideal way uh, to organise a wedding. But certainly, yes, uh, it is happening. And, and I know, Christine, the last time we spoke about it, the number of people who said that, you know, the cost of... Didn't somebody tell us it's about €120 Euro for the average wedding meal. So that's why people were saying you've got to give at least 150 to cover the bit extra because obviously there's more there's more cost to a wedding than just the wedding meal but Christine just doesn't like the idea that if you're going to a wedding why should you be paying for your own uh, meal? Uh, 0818103103 Mary says when I got married now she's not saying when I got a used iron from a family member I just I just took it back and I landed it on their doorstep. So do I... <laughs> Do I take it? Is you knew it was used because it was out of the box, or the box was a bit bashed? God, that seems. Yeah, because we've heard we've we heard of the regifting. The last time we spoke about this, we had some very funny stories of regifting, and somebody opened up a wedding present. This is back in the era where people gave the gifts and uh, opened it up, and the card was left inside. Say somebody got married this year, and then they went to a wedding next year, and they regifted a present, but they left the card that they got when they got the present the year before and they got cut out uh, that way. But re-gifting was certainly, certainly in the era where people could have ended up with five kettles and ten toasters, re-gifting was definitely, definitely very popular. But what was happening in those days was it was a new kettle, toaster, iron, whatever it was, was passed on. But it just seemed very insulting to give somebody a used iron as a wedding present. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com, uh, joining us on this, the first day of uh, March. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Actually, somebody earlier on was saying that it's lovely to see so many daffodils out and about and that it actually makes her smile every time she sees the daffodils. This seems to, and I was driving to work this morning and I passed two cherry blossom trees. Oh my God, they're stunning at the moment. Well, I'm lucky where I live. The 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 they're the winter flowering cherries you're admiring at the moment, even though we are in spring. But they're the early cherries, and I'm lucky where I am because uh, I'd say there must have been a garden centre nearby 
50 or 60 years ago who, who did a special offer on winter flowering cherries because they're nearly every single <laughs> garden and they look absolutely gorgeous at the moment. OK, and actually there's a, a piece that we spotted in um, one of the papers um, the, the, this morning and it was, no, it was to do with an M&S store in England where they had spring onions and daffodils beside each other and it was a botanist, a TV botanist by the name of James Wong in England who went up on Twitter saying how stupid that was because seemingly daffodils are highly poisonous. Yeah, I'm not altogether sure. I'd, I'd say it might, he might have been trying to, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. It's my first time seeing it. But um, I'm not altogether sure how, how, I don't know. And I'm sure he probably checked. But So he's probably right. But uh, I'm not sure how toxic the flower would be if it's next to spring onions. You know, the, the, the bulb of the allium, or the, sorry, the bulb of the daffodil is toxic. The flower and the leaves would be toxic. But I don't. Th- I don't think they're going to be next to each other. It's going to make them. Yeah, I, I think. I think he was fearful because it was his elderly mother had sent him on the photograph, and he was fearful that an older person might pick them up, thinking that they were spring onions, and actually eat them. Oh, do you know what? I get it now. In fact, if the if the daffodils weren't in full flower, yes, yeah. if they were in bud, absolutely. Now I get it. Yes, he's right from that and point they're of view. Lying. They shouldn't I've, have I've been seen, in the edibles. Yeah, I've seen the photograph. They're lying side by side. You could easily pick them up. Now, M&S defended it saying, look, there's there's a sticker on it saying, you know, not for human consumption. But, you know, somebody picking it up, maybe the eyesight, not the best, might might think they're spring onions. Oh, absolutely. And we're all creatures of habit, unfortunately, in supermarkets. If, if it's where the spring onions were last week, it's where we're going to pick them up this week. To, yeah. yeah. So sorry, from that point of view, if they're not in full flower, absolutely an easy mistake to make. Yeah. yeah. So please, please be careful. OK, let's get straight into questions. Oh, I had a letter in this morning. Loved to get a handwritten letter from Mick in uh, Waterfall with some questions for Peter, please. Uh, Mick wants to know, is it too late to prune gooseberries? They're gone fairly leggy. Um, I would say you're, you're erring on the side of being too late, but probably if they're gone a bit leggy and a bit woody, it's time better to do it now a bit late than not at all. But maybe maybe don't prune them as much out of the bush as you would have if it was earlier in the year. He also wants to know, is it too late to apply farmyard manure to roses? Never too late, I think, yeah. for, for adding or good organic matter like that to the soil. No, mulch away. The only thing is, if, if you're applying it around the base of roses, do be careful that you're not burying the, 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 the base of the rose plant. There's what's called the graft union, which is where the rootstock and the, 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 the variety are grafted to each other, Trish. And you don't want to bury that union. It's quite obvious if you go looking for it at the base of a rose plant um, and you don't want to bury that. OK, just bear that in mind. But no, you could you apply, still apply the farmyard manure. Absolutely. OK, and he's got one final question uh, for you. Uh, he is one of our older listeners and he says, the seeds to sow are impossible to see. They can be 500 to 1,000 in a packet. Is there an apparatus I can buy to help my failing eyesight? I don't think, I don't believe there is an apparatus you can buy apart from a magnifying glass to for like a lot of those seeds, a lot of the little annual seeds um, uh, are, are absolutely, they're, they're like pepper dust. So they're impossible to see individually nearly. Uh, with my failing eyesight too. Well, what a, what a, what 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 a, a trick we learned back in the day when I was in college many years ago is mix a bit of silver sand or something like that with the seed. So you'll see the sand, you'll see the silver sand, and the, if you mix it all up when you sprinkle the sand, you're sprinkling the seed as well. But you can see the sand, you know. Okay. So that might be worth trying. Okay. Hi, uh, Peter. Can I cut back ground cover roses, ordinary roses, and different shrubs? And what about raspberry canes? Somebody wanting to get. Busy in the garden? 
Yeah, it's that kind of time of the year. So roses, ground cover and normal shrub roses, absolutely. You can still get, cut them back and do it sooner now rather than later because the growth is, is emerging right now. The growth is coming. So you don't want to sacrifice any of the, the new growth by cutting it back in a few weeks. So do it straight away and then you'll get the benefit of all the lovely new growth. In terms of the, the other general shrubs, it's, it's, you can't just answer that in a, a one-sentence catch-all kind of an answer. But if they're, if they're spring-flowering, I would say, to give a kind of general guideline, if they're spring-flowering, don't, because their flower buds will be already on the, the bush. But if they're late-flowering, let's say like hydrangeas or budlias, you know, late-summer flowering, things like that, you could still cut them back, plenty of time to do that. Well, again, I suppose a bit like the roses, do it sooner rather than later so you don't sacrifice any of this year's growth. Uh, and the raspberry canes, I think you've probably gone a bit too late. I'd leave them alone now until after fruiting this year and then cut them back. Hi, question for Peter, please. I've got a rhododendron. I planted it about two years ago. I'm moving house in April. Can I dig it up and take it with me? It's never flowered, but it is growing and is very healthy. Good. If it's only in the garden, did they say two years? Two years, it? yeah. Yeah, it should transfer easily enough. So again, the, the correct time to do it, we've just passed it. Like a, The correct time you do it is, is it's January or maybe early February. Um, but look, if you're moving and it's only been in the ground two years, I certainly would take the risk on it, Jess. Just get as big a root ball out of it as possible. Uh, obviously, if you're moving, you may not be able to transplant it immediately. So it might go into a pot for, for the intervening period. So maybe have that pot ready for it so it's not out of the ground for any length of time. I keep it very, very well watered over the next number of weeks. Okay, hi, this is from Mary. Hi, question for Peter, uh, please. It's to do with weed control. There's grass and weeds growing in the yard that need to go. I want to use salt to get rid of them, but we've got dogs and uh, cats. I'm certainly not going to consider using a spray. Is there certain salt or will table salt do to get rid of grass and weeds growing in the yard? Table salt will do, or you can get the uh, the the salt that we would use for de-icing on the roads and and on driveways. That'll do it as well. But um, just be careful because it's you know the where it runs off into where where that solution of of salt as it dissolves with the water where it runs off into is going to be quite toxic as well. So it's going to 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 um make sure it's not uh, running off into a waterway or into a kind of lawn area or anything like that. Okay, Margaret's looking for advice to say her garden is very overlooked. Which plant or tree would be fast growing to use? So looking for privacy, obviously. Yeah, difficult one to give a specific answer to, obviously, without seeing it. So like whether they just want one tree, let's say, strategically placed, do you know what I mean, to to block or maybe they need a a long line of a a tall hedge. I don't know. The only thing I would say, I'll give you a few suggestions, certainly, but the only thing I would say is, you know, be careful what you wish for. I always say this to people when they want a quick growing tree or a quick growing hedge, because when it's got to the height uh, that you want it to quickly, that doesn't mean it's going to stop. You know, so mm-hmm. if it's quick growing, remain quick growing, and just you might just want screening at ten or twelve feet, but a quick growing tree might want to grow to a hundred feet. So you you do need to be careful what you're putting in. So um, if it's a if it's a, I suppose the quickest growing hedging plant, let's say of all, would be green laurel, common laurel. Not a plant I'm a huge fan of, but it be, because it does kind of create a monoculture and there's very little diversity around underneath it. Um, but it will do what it says in the tin. It will give you this solid green wall up to 10, 12 feet very, very quickly uh, if that's high enough for you. If it's an individual tree you want and you're looking for an evergreen, could may again, depending on the aspect and depending on where you are, uh, you could maybe look at something like an evergreen magnolia or you could look at a, a holly, a nice holly tree. Um, there are lots, but again, I probably need to, to to see the garden or maybe bring a photograph of it uh, to your local garden centre and, and no doubt they'll only be too happy to give you lots of good advice. 
Okay, hi Peter. Is it okay to put out weed killer now on the lawn? I tried to rake as much of the moss out yesterday as I could. I'm, I'm, if I was ever on the fence in it, I'm completely off the fence on it. Now I wouldn't ever apply a weed killer to, to a law. I wouldn't apply a weed killer anyway. I think, I think our, our planet has come, we've gone too far to be even talking sorry, about ma- using weed Sorry, moss killer. Moss, my, my oh, moss, moss sorry. Killer, my sorry, apologies. weed killer, weed killer, I would say absolutely not. Uh, yeah. Um, we just can't, we need to learn to love the, the, those wildflowers on yeah. the lawn. Um, the moss killer, he, yeah, now is the time to put it on. But again, moss is, has traditionally moss has been controlled by applying sulfate of iron to the lawn. Um, but when you do that, it will kill the moss and turn it black. But you're creating acidic conditions in the soil. And the reason I mention this is because that's the ideal conditions for moss to grow in. So whilst you're killing it immediately, you're creating conditions that it's going to come back. So uh, go with something that's going to make the soil more alkaline, okay? Improve the drainage in the soil and go with something that's going to make the soil more alkaline. Even garden lime or the lawn gold, the, the virus product from Galway, that works, you see. It's a back-to-basics approach. If you make the soil more alkaline, you're, you're encouraging good grass growth because that's perfect pH for the grass, but you're creating conditions that moss finds it very difficult, next to impossible, to grow in. So look for something like the lawn gold or even garden lime. That will control your moss. Uh, and, and now is the time to do it, Jeff, from March onwards, yeah. Therese wants to move a forest flame. Uh, it's quite small at the moment. Is now the time to do it? It's the same answer, Trish, as the caller earlier with the rhododendron that was moving. So the right time to do it is January, January, very early February. But if it's quite small, so in other words, if it's only been in the garden a year or two, I would say you'd certainly still be OK to move it. But uh, if, it, if it's been in there kind of five years or longer, then I'd probably wait. I'd probably leave off because you do risk losing it as it's coming into growth. I'd probably leave it off till uh, kind of November onwards again of this year. And someone else wants to know, is it too early to plant begonia tubers in the ground? Yes, definitely. It's still quite cold. Um, you could start trying, you could uh, start off your begonia tubers now in pots indoors. Uh, I won't start mine for another couple of weeks yet because it's still too early. But um, I certainly wouldn't dream of planting them outside till the end of March. Uh, so, yeah, too early to, to do it now. And Dennis wants to know, when is the best time to cut back fire thorn? Is it fire thorn? Yeah, fire thorn. It's pyracantha. You probably know it. Um, Trisha has pyracantha. It's a very thorny evergreen plant, lovely white flowers and, and berries. Um, and it's kind of, it's a balancing act with the fire thorn or the pyracantha as to when you cut it back because the, the flowers which will come on it, let's say kind of next month, kind of April time, April, May, they obviously turn into the berries. So if you prune it after that, you're cutting off the berries. But if you prune it too early, you're cutting off the flowers. So you have a balancing act of what you're doing is, um, I would. the short answer to the question is I would wait till after flowering, but just try and leave as much of the, the flowers, even though they're finished, the, the dead flowers on it as possible because they will lead to the berries. Okay, so many people are busy in the garden because somebody else wants to know, when is the best time to plant low growth heather and what's the best soil to use? The, the, so the, yeah, everybody, you're right. Everybody is back out in the yeah, garden. It's, it's a great. wonderful time of the year because we, there's so much to do. Then one job leads to another. So the when you're planting any, anything nowadays, heather's included. They're all grown in pots, Trish, and available in your local garden centre. So so when something is pot grown like that, it can be planted twelve months of the year. There's no problem. 
provided the ground isn't physically frozen or waterlogged. So you can certainly plant your low growing heathers now. And the, the next the next question is is the next part of the question rather I, I'll answer by saying every soil will, will will be right for a heather, if you know what I mean. So there's heathers suited to every soil. Acid soil, limey soil, clay, peat. So it just depends on your soil type. There isn't I can't just turn around and say this is the best heather for all soils. Depending on your soil type there is a heather that will suit you. And there's also a heather, which is, you you can get a heather to flower in any month of the year. So there's such a great range of plants uh, and something I would encourage people to plant more of, yeah. Okay, and thank you to a Mallow listener who says, I found these glasses fabulous for sight. You buy them in, in, Tex- in Tesco. It might be helpful to the listener regarding sorting out the garden seeds. And it just looks like a normal pair of glasses, except it magnifies everything up to 160%. And, uh, that's a good idea yeah, I've seen them on TV yeah. actually advertised that's a good idea for that caller yeah, yeah that might work okay a busy week Peter uh, out the door very very busy as you'd expect at this time of the year very very busy uh, with designs and consultancy just out the door thanks be to okay. God we'll talk again next Wednesday thanks a million Talk to you then, Trish. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for this afternoon. And remember, you're still looking out for Madonna's La Isla Bonita. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.